long break i guess we're back um i mean this might have been like the quietest period of notre dame football that i remember after it was so hectic for a week like there's times that i almost forgot we had a game no No, can't say that (laughs) (laughs) no not not like there was i think there was more so there was just so much else going on with bulls getting canceled um but you like I would have thought there'd be a lot more coming out of bull prep practices because they're all so new, but we hadn't heard a ton about any Freeman led practices being any type of big change. Right. I think so. My, my sister's saying that they're a bit shorter, I think than normal. Um, okay. They're definitely structured a little bit differently than Kelly's and, and they're, uh, they're, yeah, they're just structured a little bit differently. They, I think they tend to go fast, um, not a whole lot of breaks. Let's get it in and out. And then also she said that uh, this, which I'm not shocked that Freeman does this, and I'm also not shocked that Kelly didn't do this. But, like, I guess she was saying that they go music the whole time from, like, beginning of warm-up through the end of the 11th period. They're, uh, they're going music the whole time, which she said, at least this group that she works with, like, a lot of those players, like, really like it. Um, so it's, it, I think it's a little bit different. Um, and it sounds like the biggest addition is that starter thing that he does. He does like the five minute one-on-one competitive period where it's one player from the offense and one player from the defense, um, which I, they seem to like, I, I like it. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it monumentally changes Notre Dame's outcomes in games, but I think it is something, a fun thing that players will like and, and will gravitate towards. It's fun to compete, uh, especially when, when you're, when you're an athlete at this level. So even those little periods, I think will help. Yeah, and I mean, for college kids especially, I mean, this isn't necessarily maybe as true for the starters or guys who are playing a ton, but it's kind of a way almost like the things like, you know, at your end of your freshman year, you're homesick, kids who are from California, Hawaii, it's cold as fuck for the first time in your life. And, you know, practices can probably get monotonous, especially for a bowl, especially when you might not play. I think it's a good way to just, you know, spice things up, change it up a bit because, you know, when you're in December of a season when you've been practicing now for well over four months of, you know, just doing the same thing, individual, seven-on-seven, teams, O-line, D-line, you know, it gets repetitive. So having something to switch it up is probably a really good thing to keep the players engaged. And, you know, I think it's speaking to Marcus Freeman, one thing he talked about is having the internal competition, you know, heat up a lot more than what it was like under Kelly. Yeah, I mean, so it's great. I think it's a nice little pickup, and all of a sudden we're three days away from the game. But, Dono, as you said, there has we haven't heard anything, which I think no news is good news a little bit. Um, the, the only thing that will be news going forward, I think, will be the guys declaring for the draft when you're looking at the Kevin Austins, the Foskies, 
I don't even know who else might be in that. Jared right Patterson's now. the one I'd have I'd have on yeah. my radar. Maybe. Yeah, but I think those guys really feel that it's not obvious yet. Like it, like they're probably yeah. I, I would imagine that they're probably leaning towards that, but they could definitely use uh another game on film. Uh another game on film to kind of help bolster that. Uh I think uh, I want them both back. I think they'd be massive pieces to have a successful weekend in Columbus in August or early September. But um, uh, I think they both feel like they need another week or, or another or, or another game here, put some film out there, and then and then re reevaluate the draft process from there. Um, same with Patterson, though, too. Yeah, I mean, if those guys, I think honestly, all of them, they have much more upside if they come back. Like Kevin Austin, like. You know, he has all the potential in the world, but I don't think he's going – like, he has potential to be a day one or day two pick, and he's not that right now. He's not going to go day one or day two. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, if he's tired of college and just wants to get out or something. Um, then again, you know, he puts up 212 yards and four touchdowns on Oklahoma State in the Cotton – or Fiesta Bowl. That could change things. But, I mean, I, I feel like for all those players, there is an advantage to coming back. You know, Foskey could go from back end first, second, or even second or third round to being a top 15 pick. Patterson, I think, you know, when he has another year under his belt playing under an offensive line that, you know, isn't an absolute shambles for the first six games of the season, getting some good film out there could help him get up, you know, into that. You know, centers don't really go in the first round all that often unless they're truly elite. And I don't know if Patterson's there yet, but getting him into that day two, day, like second, third round range. I think those are the big three decisions though, that we're waiting on. Yeah. Do we want to just acknowledge what happened in New Orleans on Monday night? We don't have to. We don't <laughs> have to. But I, uh, I think – Listen, he didn't play very well. Ian Book did not play very well, let's put it that way. But he also didn't have a whole lot of help. He had no they help. Were, he had no help. They were on this. They were on their seventh left tackle. Uh, I that were they were on their seventh or their seventh seventh tackle. So uh, they they were very very thin up front. Uh, I, I don't truthfully, it didn't look like Alvin Kamara wanted to be there, and I probably can't no. blame him given that Ian Book's your practice squad quarterback um, really your four string quarterback at this point. But uh, that was, that was not good. And I think the worst part about it was, was it kind of reopened that whole stat about Notre Dame starters, not having won a game in the NFL since 2015. I think it was maybe longer than that. Mm -hmm. No, it had to be longer than that. Well, here's the thing is that, you know, Ian book, I listened to part of my take this afternoon and he got destroyed for like, 10 straight minutes on there. Like they were talking about Ian book for an extended period of time. And they were saying like the NFL changing their COVID policy from like 10 days to five days. They were calling it the Ian book rule because they can't see that on, you know, on the football field again. Slab, you're catching a ricochet here, but let's look at Jake Fromm's stat line. He was was 17 for 25 yards in a pick. That's worth. That's so much worse Ian. All right, so th- I think that's another question that I want to bring up. I got two questions for you guys. One's Notre Dame related, so I think I'm going to save it. But let's look around the country a little bit. As we speak, the SEC is 0-4 in bowl games and has not looked good in really any of them. Does that change your thought about Georgia at all? 
honestly, I'm still questioning of, you know, it's going to come down to the decisions how long you ride with Stetson Bennett. I think JT Daniels, obviously it was clear kind of in the SEC title, JT Daniels will raise the ceiling more than Stetson Bennett can right now. And, you know, when you look at Georgia's really only tough non-conference game, it was a game against Clemson where they didn't score an offensive touchdown. Am I right? It was a defensive touchdown. Yeah. And so it makes me kind of question, you know, the offense and, you know, a lot of these SEC teams, you know, you have the opt-outs, you know, Auburn, for example, missing a ton of people and losing to the ACC, AAC number two with, you know, two minutes left in the game. They did kind of everything. Auburn did everything they could do to lose that game. But, I mean, I think there is something to be said. You know, everyone's talking about how good the SEC is. You know, they've kind of – basically every team they've put out there has looked bad. But and it was kind of the same thing we said this year, how there was so much differentiation between the Alabama, Georgia, and the rest of the SEC. That's something we kind of said all year. Yeah. So, I think that's, that's, that's true. That's what I was going to say. I think that would be my response to Ian's question. Like, I don't think it looks good for the SEC, but – they also took a few really good punches. Like the I'm looking at their four losses so far, and every team that's every SEC team that's played has been six and six. All right, um, yeah, has come uh, has come into the game. I'm sorry, Mississippi State was seven and five, but every, but the other three teams were six and six. And Auburn took on number twenty Houston, so the number two in the AAC, like D said. Uh, Florida took on UCF, which which was nine and um, what were they eight and. Eight and four coming in. Yeah, Florida's um, in shambles. And, they don't. Have, they don't have a coach. Yeah, Florida's in shambles, right? And then Army and then Missouri played Army, and, and it's just kind of like, who wants to play Army? And and, and it, who wants to show up and, and play a triple option team in a bowl game, uh, in the Armed Forces Bowl? It's just not. Um, it's just not great. So I, I think. Well, I think Ian's got a point. That last night was last night was not good. I will say last night was that was awful for the SEC. Mississippi State looked looked terrible but i think on the whole like you're getting the, you're getting that middle of the pack sec and then you're taking some pretty good shots for from some other conferences like you're taking their their one two or three team so i wouldn't i wouldn't panic just quite yet i, I think there's a few games left on here where i think you'll really you'll really understand the strength of the sec and it's probably the three on on january 1st right I, I, I'm going to exclude the playoffs from this conversation, but we're looking at like Arkansas plays Penn State, Kentucky plays Iowa, and Ole Miss plays Baylor. Like all those, those three teams there were what we were really talking about when we said the SEC was deep and the SEC was good, right? Like we knew what Alabama and Georgia was, but the rest of the depth comes from the teams that missed the playoff but still finished in the top 25. So uh, I think it's still yet to be determined here. Yeah, I agree. I, honestly, isn't it, I guess, through today, a Power 5 team, or I guess until the game last night, the Texas Tech-Mississippi State game, Power 5 team did not win a bowl game, period. I believe they were all winless until they played each other. So they still have a Power 5 team has not beaten a group of five team. And, you know, you can talk about a lot of things there. You know, the Power 5 team is obviously not going to be as motivated to play a group of five team than the other way around. But I, I think it kind of... I think one of you guys brought this up this year in terms of the craziness of college football, all these lower level, you know, power five versus group of five teams. The so group of five teams are loaded with fifth, sixth year seniors. So they're a lot more talented experienced than they are in a typical year. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing in bowl season as well as these guys who know that this is their last college game. They're going to go all out against these guys who, you know, we play Alabama, Georgia, 
Oklahoma, Texas every year. Yeah, they probably burned out their their best effort of the season already. Mm-hmm. So to bring it back, I'm just throwing questions at you guys um, for shits and gigs. But talking about the quarterback situation with no name in the NFL, looking at our quarterback situation, two things to say. First of all, everything that's come out of Tommy's mouth and anybody around the program's mouth is they were extremely impressed with Jack Cohn throughout the whole year. And Tommy even said that he thinks he's going to make a roster next year, which is high praise. Then we had some conversation with the transfer portal. Does anybody in there intrigue you? Would you want to see another transfer quarterback with how well it worked out with Jack Cohn? Or do you just want to let it ride with Buckner? I don't really think this year. Like last year, we were in a completely different circumstance. It was Drew Pine had never really played meaningful football. Buckner was going to be a true freshman. Phil's obviously gone. Then you have, you know, Ron Powell's like, you didn't really have anyone that played a meaningful snap of college football. Now we have Tyler Buckner, who got great experience and kind of shown. You've also, Notre Dame's coaches have seen a year of practice from him, seen what he can do behind closed doors, which is, you know, 99% more film reps than what the media has seen. And even in games, probably too. And, you know, he does have the potential to be special. And I think, you know, given that he might be one of the top five dual threats in college football next year with the way he runs the ball so well, I think you got to stick with him. Like, that's why I wasn't a fan, unless it's from someone truly elite, which I can't even, like, think of who is, go- like, what quarterback. Keaton Slovis is one of them, but, I, I mean, he wasn't that impressive. He was really good with USC having three, like, elite, elite receivers on the outside, like Amon Ross, St. Brown, Pittman, and Drake London. Like, yeah, you have those guys. Like, it's a little easier. And then, like, Brennan Armstrong is another guy from Virginia that, like, his name was being rumored a bit. He never even entered the portal, really. But he's, you know, he has great stats, but he's also throwing the ball 60 times a game almost. You know, Tommy's not going to do that with the way our roster's built. So this year just didn't really make sense unless you see, I don't even know, like, Quinn Ewers, but he would never be a fit at Notre Dame. So it's kind of a moot point. Can't hear you, Slav. Oops, my bad. It was definitely muted. Um, uh, I think I agree with you in that um, it's just you weren't going to bring in – you didn't really want to rock the boat there in the QB room because right now you got yeah, two quarterbacks there in Buckner and Pine who seem like they're going to stay who going to stay and, and be in there for the long haul, which I'm really actually appreciative and impressed by Pine that he still kind of wants to be around as far as we know. Um, and then bringing in a new guy like Angeli. Um, so – and he kind of – I don't know what he's going to be. I think I'm a little skeptical on what he's going to be, but he kind of reminds me a bit of of Pine. He's a little bit taller, but he comes from a Catholic or comes from a Northeast school um, as well. And I, I, so I think that like that, that's your QB room. The only thing I would do to add from the transfer portal in that aspect would be like, and I'm still not even sure I'd want to do this is you'd look to add a number two, I think like, I think Buckner has to be your guy, but I'd rather almost have Pine be my true number two. Like I'm not really dying to have anybody else come in and be be a true number two and kind of move him out. Um, so I'm I'm kind of comfortable with the way it is. There were names that were certainly intriguing to me. I, I agree completely with D. Like when Slovis popped, I think that Tommy was doing his job. Like he said that he said that Notre Dame was one of the first te- teams to reach out. I think that's Tommy doing his job, right? Like 
Tommy has to or and should be reaching out to these guys. He should be looking for ways to make this football team better outside of just the program. Um, doesn't mean he had to do anything, and obviously he didn't act on it like meaningfully, but I'm not necessarily alarmed that he reached out. There was one guy who I think with different circumstances I would have liked to have seen because I was really impressed with what I saw when we played him was Braxton Burmeister from Virginia Tech. Like I thought he gave – he gave our defense some fits a little bit uh, with his ability to run the ball and, and to pass a little bit. And I would just say that like, but it doesn't, that's still kind of what you're getting out of, out of Buckner. So I'm not really, the only, the only, the only true number two I'd, I'd look to bring in would be somebody who's like a true pocket passer like Cone was. Um, and that's where like Plummer from, from Purdue came into mind, but still, I'd, I'd still rather keep every time I bring in one of those scenarios, I'd rather keep the one, two of Buckner and Pine than, than bring in somebody new. I agree. I'm with you. I I was surprised by how much chatter there was, but I I, I think that's just the nature of the bees. Like there's going to be people that link it up, but, and I think there were also some big name, Bo Nix. I mean, Auburn to Notre Dame is yeah. not a natural switch by any means. So it doesn't make any sense, but when there are names like that, people are bound to get excited. But I think there was a plan from the beginning from Kelly that's going to carry over with Tommy and Marcus that, you're going to need an electric guy. Like you're going to take the bat of Buckner just for any shot to be, to beat Ohio state next year. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think we can also like moving around the offense. I think Marcus Freeman's stat staff is more or less set. Like Reese and McNulty come back on offense. I believe Lance Taylor's confirmed too. O-line and receivers. Like there hasn't been any confirmation. Dell Alexander's coming back, and yeah, we all he, we... he can't he can't come back. I mean, let's talk about this a little bit. So in between now, I think National Signing Day was between now and since we've had our last pod. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Dell can't come back. He he can't come back. We've missed on three out of the last four recruiting classes at the wide receiver position. It is far and away the weakness of our team. And he has he just hasn't met the expectations from a recruiting level, or I don't think from a player development level. He had a lot of talent with Claypool and Boykin that I don't really think we utilized in Notre Dame all that well. Claypool a little bit more, but Boykin is an NFL wide receiver that was almost irrelevant for the majority of his Notre Dame career. Like we've been missing a lot from the wide receiver position. You have to just make a change there. It might. Might not work out, but you just can't go with this stagnant, less than stellar Dell Alexander. And I don't even think the players like him all that much. I have not heard a ton of. I think I think Fink goes out, and I, I've heard Fink kind of defend him before, but outside of Fink, I have not heard a ton of good things from people in the program about him. Um, and that sucks because like that, that's a position where like we're obviously really good at, 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 from an all line from an all line perspective and we're really good from the tight end perspective and we've got a quarterback in Buckner and I think Lance Taylor's doing a great job of the running back room is probably why we've gotten guys like Logan Diggs and Estime and Chris Tyree uh, but the last position there you need is, is, is receiver and you just haven't been able to recruit at that position for the last few years I think that I wouldn't be shocked if Marcus gave him one more go around to recruit one year under him, but I, I still don't want to see it. I, I hate to say it, but I, I think you got to find somebody new 
to get in there uh, to help your recruit because that what had just happened this year like, really can't be happening. With that said, we were just talking about the transfer portal. I wonder – there's no names that are popping into my head immediately, but I, I wonder if you could do something like you do with Ben Skoranek for next year where like, you bring in somebody who – could be a grad transfer or wants to transfer later in their career who can come in and kind of help this offense a little bit to pick up some of the slack that you dropped because you didn't bring in uh, a great class and you're still relying on a bunch of really young receivers, especially if Kevin Austin leaves. I mean, after we lost those two guys, I went immediately to the transfer portal. Slav, I know you did too. It's, it's pretty thin right now. Yeah. It's, it's pretty thin at wide receiver that I know there are some names that potentially might come out as like, after bowl games and such, but right now I don't see any immediate help if Kevin Austin leaves that will change the fact that that would be far and away the glaring weakness of our team. Yeah. I mean, it next year is really not the problem as much in my mind, especially if you see a Kevin Austin come back, then, you know, Avery Davis still somehow has another year. I feel like he was like there before we were even in college at this point. Um, then Wilkins, like, Bring those four back. Plus, you know, you have the best tight end country. Tyree can work out of the slot. Diggs has shown already he can catch the ball. We're not necessarily going to be lacking at receivers next year. It's the future. It's behind that. The guys who are really other, like without COVID, wouldn't be in college anymore. Like, Del got lucky there. If it wasn't for the COVID extra year, we would be so thin at the position where, like, we would have to be playing you know, Salernos and Chris Fangs. And it's no offense to them, but, you know, you don't win national championships with those kind of players. You need depth. You need game-breaking speed on the outside, which is what we've seen. You know, we saw at Alabama. Ohio State had very prolific offense this year. They had it. You know, they lost their game at the end of the year because it was snowing and they couldn't run the ball. So receivers are, like, probably the second most important position in football today. Outside in the at the college level, at least outside of quarterback, in my opinion. I think that I think I agree. I agree with you, Dan. So we got. I mean, so what would you guys do with Dell? I'm. I. I there's got to be a better option. Yeah, there, there just has to be. You need a younger, more energetic guy. You know, I don't think like Carnell Tage was number one receiver in the 23 class. Everything I've seen is that his relationships with Tommy. It's not with Dell. Yeah. Yeah, it's with you know, keeping Tommy around. Obviously, it's going to help there. Getting the talk to Marcus Freeman. Well, I don't think that's ever hurt with a recruit. That usually, always helps. And then you get a young, energetic receivers coach out there. You know, maybe we strike lightning. Like if we get the number one receiver recruit in the class for twenty three, I'm a little less worried because that's probably a guy. He plays for IMG. He's getting great coaching. He's playing the top competition. That's probably a guy you can more or less plug and play. Then I mean. You know, you were talking about it earlier, Ian. Like, Boykin is an NFL receiver. He got drafted in the second round, third round, I forget which one it was, because of his combine. Yeah. He Not jumped because of anything he put on tape. Two rounds because of his combine performance. It wasn't anything put on tape. I agree. It wasn't anything Dell did to develop him. It was, it was fucking Matt Bayless getting him to be able to yeah. run a four at six, four, two. All right. So. And then I think the other issue here is. The hair he stayed in the lava at O line. I think it's a no for me. I think but it's I know a yeah. you guys disagree. Um, I don't see how he fits in with the rest of the staff. 
Well, I, I think he knows the good – well, he doesn't really probably know as many people on defense. Definitely knows Elston. So they, they crossed yeah, over. Yeah, he knows Elston he was, and he'll Tommy. Yeah. Probably and, McNulty too. Yeah, might know I don't know if they him. crossed over, but I'm sure he'll know McNulty. Yeah. But, he, I mean, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, and this is, the like, one of the oldest dogs there is. Like, he would be one of the oldest – He's a mean dog, too. Assume, like, one of the oldest college football coaches, and he abuses his offensive alignment. Like, you yeah. got to have thick skin to play for Harry Easton, which – not saying that, like, Freeman and Tommy can't get into the guys, but he, he, his attitude is a little different than the rest of the staff. Yeah, and I just realized that how it fits. When we're just putting such a strong recruiting push, I don't know how it fits with Harry. That's uh, Ian, I, Ian, I, I, I kind of – I see your point completely. I actually see both sides. I, I think I actually fall right in between you two. I, I don't have a good answer for this. I don't I don't definitively fall yes. I don't definitively fall no. Uh, like Ian, a lot of alarm bells go off in my head and that uh, this is, a, for the most part, a young, super energetic, super committed to recruiting staff and that's really exciting to have. Um, and from what we've heard, it's tough to say because none of us are in the building, right? It's everything we get is yeah. secondhand at best, if not third or fourth hand. But from everything we heard is that he stand is not that act, not that super active recruiter that Marcus Freeman preached that his staff would be in, in the open press conference. Um, and it's worked for him. Like he's gotten some real dudes – to show up and play in the offense, to play in the NFL. You think of guys like Ronnie Stanley, and you think of guys like Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey and Zach Martin. Um, those are all like big names. And you also think of other guys like small, not smaller names, but but names that aren't pro bowlers and guys like Sam Mustafer and Alex Bars. Like those guys are starters for the Bears. Those guys all played under Heaston. So obviously he's had success. He knows what he's doing, um, which is exciting, is why you'd want him there. Um, you just hope that his resume would be enough to get kids to still want to come to Notre Dame. You'd hope his resume would still be, be able to do enough talking to get kids to Notre Dame. And I just don't know if it's going to uh, in this day and age. I, I just don't know if that matters as much as it used to. Um, so I still, I'm still not against it. I'm still not for it. I, I really don't Love, you have. Just, you said it though. Like I'm with you, but people that you and I both trust stand by him. Which yeah. Is the, only, right. the only reason that I'm like, Okay, maybe like those guys know more than we do, and they give it give it the go. So yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's what gives me a little that's bit. That's what maybe kind of pushes time. me. That's what kind of pushes me towards being for is just like there are people within the building that think this is a good idea, and if they think it's uh-huh. a good idea, also like let's let's also say this like we're still rolling off a 2017 Harry Heastan, right? And I'm not saying that he's going to change dramatically, but. Even if he, even if he's willing to adapt, not even his coaching style, just his general approach to recruiting and uh, and that of his. Because I don't think the coaching style is the problem. A lot of guys no. have coaches who are really intense in high school, and um, right. and when you bring in the top recruits, like that's probably what they want because that's probably what they're going to see in the NFL. Like I don't think Emil Wagner is going to have an issue at Notre Dame because it's Harry Heaston and not somebody who's a little softer around the edges. You just worry that. I just know that previous the previous regime worked super hard to get something somebody in like him, and you want to keep getting guys like him. And 
I think you just need you just need you just need him to tweak his approach to recruiting a little bit to, to jive a little bit more with the rest of the staff. I think that that's the biggest issue. But like you said, it's not always easy to teach a new uh, an old dog new tricks, especially a mean dog like East Ham. So uh, I think I'd probably lean towards him for it, but I'm not all the way there yet. So like obviously like yeah, no one's necessarily really worried about he stands ability to teach the fundamentals of playing offensive line. He's done it at the highest level. He's coached a Joe Moore winning offensive line, top 10 picks, NFL, all pros. Like no one's questioning that. When you think about the recruiting and think about, you know, he's standing in 2018, it's, you know, let's think because recruiting now, it's not just one position coach recruiting everyone. It's he stand and Kelly are the combo recruiting kids. And that's two people that aren't going to mesh with, each other very well if you pair he stand with a marcus freeman and tommy reese two guys who are dogs and that will get after it on the trail that's a lot different than a harry he stand and a mike stanford for example i don't even know was he our oc in 17 or is that chip long chip, Cal- chip long chip long chip long who was yeah i mean he was white bread mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Not necessarily known as a dog. I think Elko was known as a pretty damn good recruiter. Actually, yeah, he brought in the number one class in AM history, so he was pretty damn good. But um, you know, he but he wasn't recruiting with Heastand. He was a defensive coordinator. Heastand, you pair him with Tommy, you pair him with Marcus Freeman. That's a lot better than pairing with Heastand. These guys who barely like to recruit slightly more than him. Two guys I would rather have recruits meet in their office. You know, you have Tommy going out on the trail with him. Marcus going out on the trail to meet these guys, you know, after he sent made that introduction, you combine that with his resume and all that, you know, it's going to take a little push, but you know, rising tide helps raise all ships. If he sees Marcus Freeman at the helm, busting his ass and recruiting, you think Harry's going to think Marcus is going to be happy with his own line coach, just sitting back in South Bend on his couch doing nothing. Now he's going to push. He has to push him. And yeah, it might be tough for Marcus to do given he stands 30 years older than him. But if Marcus is able to push East Stand to do it, recruit. I mean, it's not like Notre Dame has to do extraordinary things to recruit offensive linemen. It's the easiest yeah, sure. route. And, uh, you know, offensive linemen, Tom, you talked about, you know, how East Stand has an old school way of coaching, like he will chew your ass out. Uh, I mean, offensive line is a little different. It's almost, you know, I'm not going to say it's like, you know, okay, to just berate kids, but. It's a little more standard uh, on the offensive line to do that to like a receiver where the players are diva, where you get yelled at, like toss your helmet off to the sideline. Like you don't see a lot of Antonio Browns on the offensive line in the NFL. It's lunch yeah. pick. Nope. You know, you know, you get yelled at. Like that's what you know the Golics have said on Twitter, where you know Junior played for He Stands, Senior's been around the program, probably been to dozens and dozens of practices, watched him coach. You know, he knows that you know if he stands able to convey to these players that he has their best interests in mind. It can be a very effective way of coaching. It's just, you know, in this day and age, it's probably a little harder to get that message across truly. So that's why I'm for it technique. And, you know, the recruiting can be a lot different when you're not trying to tag team an 18. Oh gosh, that was a horrible choice of words. Wow. Right. (laughs) (laughs) When the two people recruiting an 18 year old aren't, you know, Brian Kelly, and Eric Stand and Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese. So, moving on. Probably more. <laughs> but and last last thing is you got it's Nick Lazinski for special teams. Really? You think I, so? Yeah, I think so. I love that guy. When I worked, like I, he's an awesome guy. 
Um, his family's awesome. He's a Notre Dame guy. The players absolutely love him. He's super smart. I mean, when Coach Taylor made Billy Riggins the special teams coach of the East Dillon Lions, they won a state title. And, I mean, I, I would equate it to that. You know, program guy. Everybody knows him. Loves he, him. He's super smart. I don't – I actually don't know him. Uh, does he – do you even have a brother our age, did he? He did. Xavier was our he did. age. He, okay, yeah. Xavier was our age. Okay, so I didn't, yeah. I didn't know Xavier. But, um, okay. But, no, that whole family, like, bleeds blue and gold. And he's yeah. an oh, energetic he, he, Xavier wouldn't wouldn't doubt it. Um, so I think Nick Lazinski would be an awesome choice there. But either way, you you when you're promoting, it's not like him just just doing the special teams coordinator. Promoting to that guy is adding a recruiter to the staff. The special teams coordinator recruits pretty heavily, and Polian yeah. recruited out west, and he did our Hawaii pipeline. So there's also can we get a guy that has West Coast connections that can re- maintain our West Coast recruiting as well? And I don't know if Lazinski is that guy, but that's one thing. Bell was also out west because he spent a lot of time in Arizona and California so before Notre Dame. But once again, we've beaten Dell's recruiting to the ground. I don't think that's a huge law. Yeah. Nope. I um, will say before before we completely move on, I, I did take a look while we were kind of chatting here about who's in the transfer portal right now from a receiver standpoint. And the one guy that I think might fit, and I think I'd really like to see, especially if Kevin Austin leaves is Todd Harris from Syracuse. He only played three games this year. He got hurt, but he's pretty freaking good. And yep. he, I, I bet he would really like a chance to step up and play uh, at a higher level than, than playing at Syracuse. So here's somebody that I, I hope that Tommy at some point is kicking the tires on and on him because he's somebody I'd be excited, excited about bringing in to help the receiver room. Yeah, and knowing Tommy and knowing Freeman, I think they're not standing highly by and, you know, just not contacting anyone in the portal. So, oh. Are you are right. you guys watching this this Maryland Tech game? No, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to keep tabs, but did Maryland just break one or what? Yeah. Maryland, Maryland, yeah, Maryland, Tonga Valo just threw a bomb, a really good ball, uh, and hit the kid's stride. So it's 14-13, but – Tech Maryland just kicked off, and the Tech kid caught it like six or seven yards deep in the end zone. And the other guy who's back there, the up back, was like oh, just like settled down, and the kid took it out of the end zone. And the, oh, the, the kid, oh, up back no. was so pissed. Yeah, and he only got tackled like twelve. So, Oof. oh, all, all right, sorry, sixteen. The Oklahoma State Cowboys. First time matchup for Notre Dame, correct? First time we've ever faced. Yep, Oklahoma. I think so. Yep. But that's what I like about bowl season. You know, yeah, it's, it's fun. Program. You know, they're consistently top 15, top 25. It's a good game for us. You know, I put them on the level of a lot of teams, like a Wisconsin, for example. You know, they're kind of always in that range. Um, You know, this is a team that, honestly, I did not see a whole lot of until the last few games of the year. Yep, with you. Uh, initial thoughts, Spencer Sanders. Somewhat reminds me of Ian Book, a little more erratic throwing, uh, probably not as great of a passer as Book. And then, you know, even then Book wasn't that great of a passer. Uh, but in terms of what he can do and get outside the pocket and make plays with his legs, I think he has 500 or so rushing yards. That's about what Book would average in a year when he was at ND. Uh, and that's kind of their offense. They have Jalen Warren, solid running back. Their offense isn't the scary part. Their defense is up there with anyone in the country, and we're going to have to score points to win this game. Yeah, they got a stout defense. Spencer Sanders, I think, is one of the hardest players to peg. Like he, he's absolutely 
erratic, as you said, but both ways. Like against Oklahoma, although Oklahoma has no not a defense to write home about, but he can do some really good things. And then against Baylor, he made some of the dumbest mistakes that I've ever seen a college quarterback make multiple yeah. times. So I just can't peg him at all. It, I don't know which Spencer Sanders we're going to get. That being said, the best Spencer Sanders is not one that we can't contain. Yeah. yeah. We've played. I, I would say. Go ahead, D. No, I'm saying like his ceiling is well below Sam Howell's, for example. For sure. Both a runner. Sure, yeah. North Carolina's offense is better than Oklahoma State's by a good amount. I I thought we played much better quarterbacks in the month of in the month of October and uh, than I than early November or the month of October than I think we we will play here in this bowl game. Uh, like Ian said, I think the the defense is kind of the thing that you have to not worry about, but like that's that's where Notre Dame. Like I think this could be a pretty low scoring game. Uh, I don't necessarily think you're going to see a shootout. Uh, I just think that both both these defenses are, are really solid. Even you know Notre Dame's done it the last month without Kyle Hamilton, even though it was against some weaker offenses. But uh, even without Kyle Hamilton, I just think both defenses look really, really good. And I don't think actually Oklahoma State should be missing many players. They're without their defensive coordinator, who's taken the same spot at Ohio State. He's going to be Ohio State defensive coordinator. Um, but uh, I don't – like neither team is missing too much on, on, on that end. Um, I think it'll be a really, really good game. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of excited. I'm excited to get another shot at a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, and, and feel like we got a really, really good chance uh, to get one here, uh, to win one for the first time in a long time, for the first time in, well, since we've been alive. Um, that'd be cool. So I'm, I'm definitely excited about that piece of it. This feels this definitely feels like the worst New York Six team we've played in a long, long time. If you think about our New York Six yeah. games, we've had some, some beasts that we've had to go up against, and this is, Oklahoma State does not seem to be in the same tier. Not at all. I agree. We have gotten unlucky. Yeah, I know this is like, hold me, I'm Irish, but, you know. For example, like New Year's Six game, we never got to play like a Memphis, like Penn State. No, like, or we no. don't get to play a terrible Virginia team. Like Florida got to play a couple of years in the Orange Bowl when we got because we weren't allowed to get the eighth bid for you know, garbage. Yeah. Like we we never got one of those matchups, uh, which is you know good and bad. You know those are kind of boring, and people probably wouldn't have given us credit. Like that people would hate on Notre Dame either way. They'd say, "Oh, your only New Year's Six bull wins are over you know X, Y, and Z." Like when it's the last time you'd be a legit change it and not consider football, so it wouldn't matter. See, Oklahoma State is name brand enough, I think, where we can get some credit here. I mean, this, Notre Dame got destroyed by Oregon Fiesta Bowl, so <laughs> we'll see. But going to back to Notre Dame's offense, how much Buckner do you think we see? I think we might see the most we've seen in a long time. Why not? I mean, you finally have a month to put in some packages. You know, this is the most practice time with like since I don't I know they planned on using them before the season, but I don't know if they plan on using them that much. And now they finally have a month to actually game plan them into the or put them into the game plan. I think we see maybe some full drives with him like we haven't seen before. Like we've seen gadget plays in some series, but like I think he might if he can sustain a drive, get a full drive. Mm-hmm. I actually think it'll go the other way. I think that we're going to see a little bit less of it because this is this maybe this may not be the best way of going about it, but I, I think it's tough to ignore that Tommy Reese 
made me feel like he owes Jack Cohen a little bit of Fair. like, hey, this is your last audition, right? And and because we've had this month to prepare, we should be really solidly prepared for this defense, and we think we got a good game plan going in, kind of like how it was uh, in Florida State, um, knowing that knowing that Buckner has already seen some meaningful snaps, and it's not of the most up of the utmost importance to get him. But you got, you got a full you got a full spring with him, right? Uh, where you can kind of do all the development and add all the packages that you need to, um, and really give him the reins. I wouldn't be shocked if this is one one last Jack Cohn show. And honestly, like you want to win the football game, and that's of the most importance. But I, I don't have an issue with it being a Jack Cohn show uh, this time. I think that there were many ups and there were some deep some deep valleys for for the downs. But I I ultimately think he helped this this football program this year get to uh get to 11 wins uh and he was a meaningful reason why why we're kind of playing in this bowl so i do think he deserves that at the very least i'm with you i just think we talked about the oklahoma state defense we're gonna need a little bit of i agree change up to make it less stagnant but i mean this defense number one is that number one in tackles for loss in the entire country and we know jack cohen is just a target in the pocket whereas buckner can get out We've seen how it affects the running game too against these good defenses like Wisconsin, like Cincinnati, where you know where the defensive end can basically just crash down on our running back when uh, Buckner's not in, and you know when Cohen's in, we really struggled to run the ball in the first half of the year. Second half of the year better, but you know it's hard to tell whether it's a function of the defenses, function of us getting better. Obviously, it's somewhere in the middle, but against an elite defense, I think we're going to need to run the ball effectively. And that's going to come with Buckner. Now I'm not saying play Buckner every drive. I think we might see a little bit of what we saw in the second half, like those last couple of drives against Virginia tech that won us the game where yeah. three step drop, get it to Kevin Austin. You know, it'd be nice to have Avery Davis, but hopefully Lorenzo styles can step up here, get it to those couple of guys in space, let them make plays, you know, after catch and just kind of chunk the ball down the field, maybe three step drop throw up a, you know, the classic back shoulder to Kevin Austin, like we used to do Claypool Boykin. So I, I agree. I, I think you're going to see you're right. Pete, because his defense is really good. And, and you're going to have like, like cone cannot just be a sit, a sitting duck on five and seven step drops. But I do think that once we, once we kind of realized that we're probably not going to be able to hold that or sustain that Tommy Reese did move to like, let's throw outs and slants uh, and, and quicker routes like that. And I think we'll see, we'll see that this uh, on was it Saturday as well. We'll see it on Saturday as well. That we'll probably go back to that or stick to that quick hitting offense. Uh, and that's kind of how you get, you'll get Cone there, but you're going to have to see Buckner as well. He's right. Like from a from run game standpoint, if nothing else, you got, you'll have to have him in there. Yeah. I mean, we also talk about, we don't have Kyron. Um, I hope we see a lot of Logan Diggs. I mean, I know we know we have Chris Tyree a little bit, but I'm I'm excited to give Logan Diggs the rock against a good defense. I mean, you can't replace Kyron. You can't replace Kyron, so it's going to have to be Buckner, Tyree, Diggs, and then like Lindsey on some end arounds and stuff. I wonder if I wonder if the goal here is. Not necessarily because you know, like Tyrese, the right, your number one back going into next year, right? Yeah, I wonder if their goal here is to not necessarily make Tyree the number one back or to not or to have him the number one back in depth chart, but like 
not necessarily change the role that he plays, right? Like he's still – I just don't know if he's big enough to be that every down back. And I think that Diggs runs the ball. It's hard – it's tough to say anybody runs the ball like Kyron Williams, but I think Diggs' running style resembles that of Kyron Williams more so than Tyrese does. So I wonder if, if the if the idea is to kind of groom Diggs a little bit to be to, to be that that back that can play on every down and can play in every situation, kind of like Kyron was, and then use Tyree where where appropriate. Um, I do think Tyree deserves to be in every back down. I just don't know if his size allows him to do that. Like if it's third if it's third and one, I want to give Logan Diggs the football. I don't necessarily want to give Kyron. Uh, like, I'm sorry, I, I, Tyree I, I, the football. I give Audric third and one. I want to give Audric the football as well, but he did not get that. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if we will see more of him this now because you know at the end of the year we're running a good amount of three back stuff. So they seem to like him as like an H back or like a like a like a like a fullback type thing for Audric. Just get him on the. Um, Hit somebody. Just hit somebody in the face. Oh, another person. I to see. I know, you know, it kind of sucks for Josh Lug. He's fifth-year senior, has to miss the bowl game. But Blake Fisher's coming back. He'll switch to the other side, right tackle. I mean, he just looks even like it's not like Notre Dame all offensive line. He just looks so big in like every. He's a, he's it's a not, man. He is not like a bad yeah. big. Looks no, like. he just he's an absolute man. I, it's exciting that they're putting a right tackle. I mean, I think it just kind of speaks to his talent that he can move around the line. Pretty um, versatile. Yeah, so that's exciting. Josh Lug's probably going to come back. I would not be surprised if we see, see some more of Josh Lug. Yeah, does he bump inside the guard? Because I think Fisher and Alder future attack. He's tall. He's pretty tall, though. I think, I think that you'd be more likely to see Alt bump in to play guard. I think Alt's probably the most athletic of the three. And uh, I think you like Fisher. Fisher is probably your potential number one, like early, early day one pick. So you probably want him back at left tackle. And you want the athletic guys on the edge against, you know, Zach Harrison from Ohio State. I don't want Josh Clark there. I want all your Fisher out there. I don't want Josh Slug there either. But I'm thinking, from what I think will happen is I think that Josh Long would go back to right tackle. I think Blake Fisher would probably go out to left tackle. Yeah. And I think that because you feel like Alt is your most versatile player, that he moves into guard. But that's just the way – that's what I see it playing out is I'm not necessarily agree with it. I, I don't necessarily agree with it. I'd rather see you two anchors at the tackles, your two best tackles play tackle. But I wonder if we I'm see coach. or not Alt even log like – if he comes back, like even be like the next man in at either type tackle spot, the six, Rat- the six, the six offensive lineman, which 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 worked when we won the Joe, like we we won the Joe Moore Award with six offensive linemen, realistically. Yeah, yeah, because that was when like, uh, Tommy and Hainsey. Yeah, yeah, they were switching. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, let's see what else do we want to see from this game. Honestly, besides a win. It's not the most fired up we've been. Say more fired up than Iowa State in 2019. That was just garbage assignment. But <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited. For, I'm pretty excited for this game. I think the venue will be cool. I I don't have a very good taste in my mouth from the last Fiesta Bowl, so I'd like to cleanse that if I could. Um, but so, I, I, I'm I'm excited. No, I, I'm excited for this one. What I think will be a little interesting is we see 
probably Mike Elston on the DC calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it's yeah, that's really probably been the last game. big thing there. Um, it seems like he's probably just going to step into that role, which great. Um, it'll be interesting to see his first game on the DC calls. Yeah, I, I think this will be really – I think this whole experiment will be really interesting, and, and that's really what it is. I, I don't think that whether this goes – whether this is good, bad, or ugly, that people should react too much to, to what yeah. the play calling looks like in this game. I really think this is your first time to try it live. Um, and we'll see what works and we'll see what doesn't. Um, but from what I like, – from what like we talked to Guts and, and what Guts and Roots say, like Freeman – Freeman called the plays and he's really effective when he calls the plays, but he is also, he also changes his mind a lot last minute. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how that kind of changes. Like there just won't be these last super, super last second adjustments that probably come in. Like, I just don't think that's the way Elson works. Um, and it'll be, I'd love to see, I think it'll be a challenge for Freeman. I think he'll do it, but I think it'll be a challenge for Freeman to kind of relinquish that ability to do so. Um, I'm kind of interested to see how, how this is how this is really all going to work. And Tommy with complete and complete control of the reins here too on offense. Yeah. So I know this is getting out there, but if Marcus Freeman wins this game and wins in Columbus September 3rd next year, does he start his career with his first two wins being bigger than any two? Having two better wins than Brian Kelly's best two wins in ten. Well, this this Oklahoma State win will not be better than the Clemson win. But last if you year. pair the top two, are they better than Brian Kelly's top two? Wins or what are Kelly? What are Kelly's top two wins? Are they Clemson and Michigan? Oklahoma. Um, at Oklahoma, twenty twelve. Oh, yeah. That was a yeah. Big the, one Ohio on the, road. State, the Ohio State win would be bigger Probably. than the Oklahoma win. I think Ohio State. This is an interesting situation. We're getting so ahead of ourselves. This is wild. I, yeah, this is this is dumb. But I, I think I'd rank them. Truthfully, I'd, I'd rank them as Ohio State would be like the, the biggest win. Oklahoma State and or Clemson would be the biggest, second biggest win. Oklahoma would be three. But then I think there's a steep drop off to the yeah. years six yeah. games. So like it, it's it's mad, it's a matchup where you have one and four and two and three. But I think the the net of two and three is better than the net of one and four. That's fair, but that, the fact that it's close after two games is pretty absurd. That yeah, is no, the uh, that is the thing about winning a bowl game. Like, yeah, if we lose, whatever it is, what it is, it's it'll make the next six months super exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll just it'll just up the 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 hype for the Columbus weekend. Oh, and there will see- still be plenty of hype if we lose, but if we win, that is just max hype. Do you see the bozo? like the chief bozo of Notre Dame, like in terms of the college football national media, Stuart Mandel, who picked us to lose five. Okay. Um, You're to lose five games this year? Yeah, when he was doing his weekly predictions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think his pre- original prediction was eight and four. Then, uh, then over the course of the season, he predicted us to lose five times, but whatever. So he's like the biggest Notre Dame hater. Like someone asked like, oh, akin to like, you know, Texas winning the Sugar Bowl or like something like that, where a team just skyrockets in preseason hype. He's like, "Yeah, it'd be Notre Dame. They might be like top five if uh, they win this game." I'm like, yeah, man, no fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. like, they finished five this year. Yeah, five, not far fetched for us to be top five. Like, yeah, we always start like at eight or nine, then just slowly make our way up. Like, that's just kind of and how. 
also starting at number five is like not that ridiculous because you we're returning you two losses. You'd have you'd have theoretically right now you have two people going to the draft. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, like we're not really gonna lose. Like we'll lose Myron and Heinish, which is like you know significant. But you know we have Riley Mills, Isaiah Foskey, Lacey. Like D line's not a position. Where, yeah, exactly. We're not lacking depth there. Linebackers, we're going to get a lot better when Maris comes back. Prince Colley develops. We'll get bigger, faster. Secondary return, basically everyone that's important. So sorry, Houston Griffith, but everyone that's important from the second half of the season, ever since Kyle Hamilton went down, return everyone there. Almost the whole receiving core, almost theoretically the whole offensive line, tight ends, Buckner, everyone except for Kyron. Like, that's a top five team. Sorry, that was the number five team in the country returning almost everyone. Like it's that's just that was just I read that this morning and I just got upset. He so. adds Stuart Mandel to my three fraud. He he's number three fraud of the week for me. I have three. Yeah, that's my that's my fraud of the week. But let's just get that out of the way right now. Stuart Mandel. All right. Fraud of the week. Fraud of the week. Um, I so have John, John, John Mayer. Mar- John Mayer is mine. Okay, then I'm gonna go with the dude that was. Going off on John Madden after he passed away for saying he's a bad guy for developing a video game. <laughs> yeah. Blaming him for concussions. All three of those people. All three of those I mean, people. I, I don't know. Do like. Playing Madden uh, perpetuates modern day slavery, actually. I think that was the, the, the takeaway there, which, um, I mean, so, I've, I've taken plenty of an English class. I know how to stretch, you know, an implication, but that's, that seems yeah. like a big stretch. <laughs> um, all right. You guys want to? Uh, you guys want to pick some games? I got the New Year's Six on the slate, and we could pick those. I would yep. love to. Cool. So, do you want to start with our game, or do you, would you rather go in order? Uh, I don't care. Let's start with our game. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. So, Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl on Saturday, Saturday, January first. The game is at one p.m. Eastern time, which actually means that it's eleven a.m. local, which I found interesting. I'm shocked at that. I guess you know. When you have a TV schedule that packed on that day, you got you got to fit it where you can fit it. But uh, Notre Dame is two and a half point favorites in this game. Who do you guys like? Yeah, the see, that's kind of interesting in terms of like all the bowl games. Like, there's been so many lines that have just moved so much, and even in like normal, like the NFL, like Ravens and five points, this line came out and has not moved. You know, it doesn't really. Yeah, moved. I just find that interesting. And um, bowl lines move like crazy. Like, yeah, they yeah. Move typically minus six and a half to. Plus seven. They move like crazy. There also haven't been like a boatload of opt-outs in this game either, right? Like obviously no Hamilton and no um, and no Williams. But outside of that, I think everybody else, like for both sides, should be playing. Yeah. I mean, really, like the second half of the, the year for Notre Dame, it's like Kyron Williams is the only player that's you know, out. Um, but, yeah, so back to the game. I think, like we talked about, two good defenses going against each other. It will be low scoring, but – Honestly, I trust Freeman. I trust Elston. I trust them to put in a good game plan. We've played better quarterbacks, better running backs, better offenses in general than um, Oklahoma State. I think, you know, it'll be a struggle, but I think Buckner going into the game keeps us dynamic enough. I think we win 24-14. So that's the Irish, and I believe the under is around 45. So I guess the under. I do not have the under on, on hand. I believe it's around. I mean, I'm yeah, obviously pretty... I'm going with the Irish. I I really yeah. like kind of the energy around the team right now. They're, I think they're going to come out hot. I think there's no lack of motivation. And we talked about it. we have not I've not seen a ton of Oklahoma State play, 
from what I have seen, they do not scare me whatsoever. I know they're a good team. I know they're a solid team. I think we just have more going for us right now and playing in this game. So I'm going to go with 27 to 13. 27 to 13. So I'm, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think that Spencer Sanders is much different than, uh, I guess he's a little bit different, but I, I wouldn't see this playing out much different than the way the Wisconsin game played out and that Graham Mertz made some dumb mistakes uh, and some bad reads. And I think that if things start to go south for Oklahoma State, I think that'll continue. And I think Spencer Sanders will also make some dumb reads. Um, I think the game will finish. I have 27 21 uh, as my final uh, for in favor of the Irish, but I just I don't see the game playing out much different than, than, than the Wisconsin game. Another neutral site, uh, another game where I think Notre Dame will be up and ready to play. Um, I think their offense is a little bit more than you think. And then, you know, we could force a turnover or two on defense and, and, and we, we kind of get the job done there. So I'll take the Irish. Um, but, yeah, I'm kind of surprised we. Uh, up earlier wisconsin's like a very good comp for Oklahoma. yeah I, that's kind of what i was thinking i meant to say that earlier just from like a really really good defense volatile quarterback pretty good running game also here's something to think about too like baylor did not have jerry bohannon for the big 12 championship game yeah like they listen the, the kid who came in the, the kid who came in and played i forget what his name is uh he was good he was good anyways but jerry bohannon was way better than that kid in uh oklahoma you know Oh, just Spencer Sanders did enough to keep to keep Baylor in the game, and then the kid did a good enough job. But um, something to keep an eye on there. All right, the next game we'll look at uh, Pitt and Michigan State in the Peach Bowl. Uh, this game is Thursday night at eight PM, I believe. Uh, Michigan State is favored by two and a half. Uh, who you guys like in this one? This game's kind of gross. Neither, yeah. It's very with gross. Both opting out. It's like you know. They'd- this game would be exciting if you had two like Heisman candidates going off against each other, but now it's just like, eh. I mean, so Michigan State's actually favored, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, by like, two and a half. I guess that makes sense with Pitt going without Pickett, but who's Pitt's backup? Do we even know? I do nope, not know, I but I don't imagine it's that good. Yeah. I also imagine he can't be that good if they're bringing in Slovis. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, they still have Jordan Addison. Michigan State's secondary was absolutely terrible all year long. So I'm going to go with Pitt. Uh, the backup quarterback is Nick Patty. All right, Nick. Ooh. He's 12 Ooh. for 14 with 140. No touchdowns on interceptions this year. Dog. Yep. I'm going to ride with him. Let's go, Nick Patty. Give me the Panthers. You're going, Pat. More fun. You're going. <laughs> give, me, give me the Spartans. Um Give me Ooh. the Spartans. Yeah, I'm going to be the contrarian here. I, I like Peyton Thorne. Uh, I think he might be might be good enough. And I think Kenneth Walker is not easy to replace. He's phenomenal at what he does. There's a reason he's, he should be drafted and why he's skipping this bowl game. But I find that the running back position is a little easier to replace slash replicate than other positions. Um, like there shouldn't be that steep of a drop-off between the running backs, whereas I think there's a steep drop-off between the quarterbacks here, between uh, between your starter for the year in uh, <coughs> Pickett and the guy who's going to play for Pitt and Nick Patty. I think it's really going to be way harder to replicate. Uh, um, it's going to be way harder to replicate Pickett's production um, and a little easier to replicate Walker's production. So I'm going to go with Michigan State here by two and a half. 
Um, the next game we'll look at. This one I'm actually really, really excited about, the Rose Bowl. Uh, Utah versus Ohio State. I think that's after our game on the first. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that one. Uh, I, I, Ohio State has a few opt-outs, but uh, I, I have fell in love with this Utah team, um, to be honest. I'm excited to watch them play one more game. Lev, I am with you here. because, And also, there's some football logic behind here, too. It's not just because I hate Ohio State. It's because Utah, we saw them in the Pac-12 championship just beat the out of Oregon on both lines of scrimmage. There's so much yep. more. Mind you, Oregon is a team that beat Ohio State um, in Columbus. Some transit property here. Yeah. But at the same time, Ohio State, you look at their last loss when teams can get after them and push them around on the line of scrimmage. Like, Ohio State's not great in the trenches. They've already had their left tackle <clears throat> or whatever. He opted out. So their best yeah. line on uh, – Olave and Wilson both out. That's their probably two scariest weapons. Now, I know they still have Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith, whatever. Um, Jig, but yeah. Yeah. Got to be careful saying that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, and so, so, you know, Utah are always known for being tough in those defensive team. I think this is a huge game for them. I know they sold out their allotment of tickets. Ohio State actually returned some of theirs just because they've been here so much. Probably not a destination trip anymore. And the Utes fans bought them all up. So they actually have a home field advantage somewhat in the Rose Bowl. I'll go with them. Might sprinkle a little money line here. Like four and a half. They'll get yeah, if you're going to bet it, bet the money line. Uh, Rose Bowl is always a fun game. I think it'll be a shootout. And I think Oklahoma or, or Utah can uh, hang with Ohio State. So I'm going to go with the Utes as well. I am also in Utah, so I got to ride with the boys. Yeah, uh, I'm going with the Utes. I think they've been a really, really good story all year. Um, they've been a really good feel, feel good. They've been a great feel good story too. Um, with those two kids who who died, uh, unfortunately, they died. Uh, um, but the I think they they found that to be a really good motivating factor and turned it into a lot of good. Um, and like you said, D, the biggest thing here is just how physical they were. They've been really physical in, some, in a lot of these games. Um, it's been really, really impressive. Um, and I think, like you said, like no Haskell Garrett, no Olave, no Wilson. Uh, the tackle, I don't know the tackle's name. I just had it. Um, oh, Petit. Uh, I actually don't have to say his last name. But anyways, uh, without the tackle, I think that Utah is the more cohesive football team here. And I think that they will prove that. Um, I, I really hope that the Utes can pull this one off. Uh, I think they'll be live on Saturday afternoon, uh, so I'll go with the Utes. Um, before we get to the playoff games, the last, the other, the other New Year's Six game we're going to touch on is, I believe this is the Sugar Bowl. Yep. Uh, it's Baylor and Ole Miss. Uh, that's at, it'll be follow, it'll follow the Rose Bowl today to forty-five on Saturday. Uh, Baylor is favored by one and a half. I'm sorry, Ole Miss is favored by one and a half. Um, who do you guys like in this game? So Baylor just had just the sneakiest eleven and two of like all time, I think. Yeah, I agree. That no one ever really considered to be that good, but somehow yeah. you know, they're they're eleven and two. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I still just have. I know they have a solid defense. I know the turnaround this year from what they have in the last couple of years. Around you know, he's a great coach, great defensive coach. Actually, probably familiar with Kiffin's schemes from his time coaching in the SEC. Um, at the same time, Corral's still playing, right? He sent out the big thing, like, I'm coming back, playing this one last game. I think it's going to be hard to bet against the lane train Corral. Yeah. Um, the fact that they're bringing in Charlie Weiss Jr. now, 
I know he's not coaching this game, but it's kind of funny. Um, it is funny. I'll, I'll go with uh, Ole Miss, cover one and a half. It'll be eh, probably honestly neutral crowd. Maybe they're somewhat close, but what? probably doesn't matter much in the bowl game. Ole Miss, easy money, all day. Cool. Uh, I got Ole Miss, the lane train, in a controlled environment. The game's at AT&T, I believe. Um, controlled environment. Or is it – or I'm sorry, is it in uh, New Orleans? Yep. Yeah, doesn't – same principle applies. They're playing in the Dome. Uh, should be should be a nice 75. No, no weather no weather to affect the game. I think Matt Corral goes crazy in his last game. He's got, he's got a very big bull, uh, draft pitch to make here. Uh, and I, you have to think that Lane's going to get creative and have some fun for the bowl. Uh, I've been pretty, I was pretty underwhelmed with Baylor, uh, especially with the amount of turnover luck they had in, in the Big 12 championship game. I don't think that Matt Corral will be as careless with the football as Spencer Sanders was. And, and I think that Ole Miss kind of runs away with this one. But uh, all right. Playoff game number one, playoff semifinal number one, uh, Cincinnati versus Alabama. Uh, Alabama is 13 and a half point favorites. Uh, this game we played at 3.30 on New Year's Eve um, from, I think that's the Cotton Bowl, right? That's from AT&T? Yep. Cool. All right. Alabama is three, 13 and a half point favorites here. Who do you guys like? Alabama has struggled against teams that are a lot worse than Cincinnati to be quite honest this year. I think mm-hmm. everyone's on the most recent data point with Alabama and the Georgia game. And, you know, if they play like that, yeah, no one's touching them. But, you know, are you going to get that performance? And Cincinnati might be the only team in the country with a better secondary. Than you. At least on the outside, yeah. losing John Mechie Hurts is your second weapon. You had Jameson Williams. Um. I think Cincinnati, they still lose, but they lose by around 10. I think they can set a number. Alabama, you know, it's one of those games. I think it's kind of like the Alabama-Arkansas game where they kind of keep them at an arm's length the whole second half or something like that. Yeah. I'm with you. I I have a lot of confidence in Cincy's defense. Uh, oh, dip. did we lose? Did we lose Ian. Um, all right, D, right. you can still hear me, right? Yeah, I can still hear you. Cool. So I'll t- I'll pick it up. Uh, I-, I really hope that Cincinnati makes a tight game, and I actually genuinely think they will. Uh, I-, I I'd be more inclined to think that they're going to make this uh, like a 10, 10 point game. I th- I-, I think this will be this will be a good football game. Like the spread uh, is not necessarily indicative of what of what it's going to look like, but. Um, I do think that uh, I do think that Alabama just wins this game by two touchdowns here, even if it's a late one. Um, I, I really like the Crimson Tide. I think they've been here before. Okay, Ian's back. Um, they've been here before. Saban's been here before. Um, I think that Cincinnati will give a, a, a good try, but uh, I'll take the Crimson Tide. Um, Ian, do you want to finish your Cincinnati point, or do you just want to roll with Bearcats? I, I think they could cause some trouble for Bama. Like the issue, Georgia couldn't get any pressure on Bryce Young. And your and your yeah. corners are just kind of screwed if you if you get Bryce Young that much time. Since he gives him some weird looks that I think might take a little while to figure out, and leaving Bama not enough time to cover thirteen, so I think they stay within the number. Bama win. Saban is inevitable. All right, 
Uh, last game here. Uh, I think this one is 845. Oh, I'm sorry. 730. The Orange Bowl from Miami. Uh, Georgia play Georgia playing against Michigan. Georgia is seven and a half point favorites here. Um, that hook, that hook could be a killer. But um, seven and a half point favorites. Who do you guys like? Dogs. I think Michigan's. They haven't like we talked about them being able to out physical Ohio State. I don't think they can out physical big Jordan Davis in the middle. Uh, I think they're facing some completely different animals here. Uh, secondary, the speed all over the field. Like Michigan doesn't have elite guys on the edge like Alabama did. KJ uh, McCarthy is no, not JJ McCarthy. You know he's the Buckner of Michigan. K McNamara, he's not exactly Bryce Young out there being able to avoid people, direct traffic, you know, create plays, which you need to be able to do against Georgia. I mean, I see this game being low scoring because at Michigan's defense is solid, Hutch, Hutchinson, Ajabo, but I think Georgia, you know, creates a defensive touchdown puts himself in position to get some easy scores with their defense and wins this one about 21-7 or so. It, it's kind of reminds me, I think it was like Alabama-Washington a few years ago or maybe Alabama-Clemson when they had Kelly Bryant where it was a, two really good defenses going against each other, but you just knew the whole time that Georgia wasn't going to be able to do anything or that Michigan's not going to be able to do anything and Georgia just kind of pulls away. I I really think – Georgia has some like Jordan Davis is a beast, but he's out of shape. He's not out of shape. He just gets tired. He gets tired, and I don't know if like we saw that in the Bama game. The the smart bet is for I think Michigan staying within that number. I think they can run the ball pretty darn well. They could cause some like Stetson Bennett isn't gonna light you up. Um, that being said, never put Michigan. On my bet line, so dogs. <laughs> I'm not even gonna say the M. It's a big number. Yeah, it is a big number. I'm not even gonna say the M word. Um, the hook, all I'm saying is that the hook could be a killer. Uh, and you, if you look, fading us may not be the worst idea in the world, but I'm still going with Georgia. Um, I think that's although I don't know if Stetson Bennett is the best quarterback in his quarterback room. I think he is better than Kate McNamara. Um, I. Yeah, as long as he takes care of the football, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. Um, I think that Georgia's offensive line will be able to kind of withstand the physicality of Michigan better than maybe Ohio State did. Um, and I think so long as so long as the defense can kind of hold, I, I think that Georgia Georgia will get a few scoring possessions here, maybe force a turnover or two, uh, and ultimately win this game. Um, I'm really hoping that they can get it to two scores. Uh, that'd be wonderful for us. But I'll take Georgia. Um, all right, fellas. Uh, do you guys want to give a national champion? I'm going Georgia. I'm going Georgia. Don't ask you why. That's fine. Uh, like, Dude. there's no reason to ever think that Kirby Smart could figure out Nick Saban, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Georgia. For that reason, See? I'm going Alabama. Yeah. Uh, I too am going Alabama. I'm 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 going evil. I'm going evil empire. I'm going with the Death Star. Give me Alabama. Yeah. But, all right, fellas. Last last picks of the year there. Uh, that was uh that was fun. <laughs> Thank God. We we can uh, we can do God. we can do this one we can do this maybe one more time for a recap next week after our game. Yeah. Let's so, go win a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. Let's go get one.
end the streak. First big win of our lives. Let's do it. Go Irish. All right, fellas. Go Irish. Talk to you soon.